Would you bow in a word of prayer with me? <clears throat> Father, once again, we thank you for our time this morning, opportunity to be together, to open your word together, to study your word, to understand what you have brought to us. Lord, the thought that you would be such a God that would condescend to us to tell us exactly what you are accomplishing by means of redemption and through whom that redemption comes is a miraculous extension of your mercy and grace to us who do not deserve it. And so we sit here this morning as grateful recipients of all that you have granted to us by your grace. And we desire to receive it with great joy. An honor to your name because of who you are and because you have made a way for us to no longer be under your wrath, but to be saved in Jesus Christ. So we ask your blessing on our time this morning. Open our hearts and minds and Cause us to be reflective of these things that you have for us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn in them to our study of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We have been studying this now for 10 weeks in Luke chapter 1. Some of you may be wondering why it's taken us so long. Well, Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses. That's nearly as long as the entire book of Philippians. It's only 104 verses. So you may not have known that, but it takes a while to to get through what God has for us. And of course, as you know, we just take it as God gives it. And so we are discovering here all that God has planned to accomplish through the coming of Jesus Christ. We have been studying Luke chapter 1. Sometimes we don't think about that in our own lives as we think about salvation. Sometimes we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We've been a Christian maybe for a long time, but we don't think about salvation. We don't think about necessarily the doctrine of salvation and all that God has accomplished and all that God is doing through the doctrine of salvation and saving people. And I want to begin our time this morning by hearing the section of Scripture that we are going to focus our attention on, beginning in verse 67 and going to the end of the chapter, verse 80. We, we have to take this section as a whole. It's the words of Zacharias as God is speaking through him. And it says much about salvation. Beginning in verse 67, it says this, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Having lived several places in my lifetime throughout this country and having had the privilege to travel somewhat extensively throughout the world, I have found New England to be a unique place. <laughs> you see, I told you. <laughs> I've never lived or in or visited another place in which in winter it gets so dark so early. No other place in the world that I've ever been, I've, obviously you could go to Alaska, I would assume, and it would get dark for a long time. But I've never lived in a place in which in winter it gets so dark so early. And having lived here for now over a decade, when the winter comes, there's one thing that happens in my heart. I long more than ever to see the sun. I really love it when the sun comes out. I vividly remember years ago during the major ice storm that struck this region. We all have memories of it. I remember there was no power for days. Our house, we had no power for somewhere between 8 and 10 days. I longed for the days to be longer and the nights to be shorter. That's what I longed for that the days would be longer, that the nights would not last as long. And even though the exhaustion of the nights lingered on and on and on, the most anticipated moment of the new day was when the sun began to rise. Oh, it was refreshing. As tired and as exhausted as I had been from stoking the fire all night just to keep a little space in front of the fireplace warm, that sun, when I saw it in the morning, just invigorated me with new energy. This is what, partly at least, makes sunrises so beautiful. They bring the dawn of a new day. They bring a new warmth. They bring new scenes and fresh beginnings. Well, as we have already seen in our study in Luke chapter 1, Israel and the world had been sitting in spiritual darkness. They had been sitting in the shadow of death for a long time. From a spiritual perspective, as we think through this, the darkness of sin's clutches, the darkness of spiritual death, the silence of God to bring a remedy was crushing upon them. No prophet of God had spoken for over 400 years to Israel. Certainly, there were those who knew that a day would come, that there was coming a day when God would, in fact, 
speak. The prophet Malachi had said over 400 years prior to this very moment that the Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. You shall go about leaping like calves from the stall, he said in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. So even though there had been more than 400 years of darkness, there were some who were looking for a sunrise. Some who were waiting and anticipating the night to end. And in our study, there have been some signs of the sun rising. The angel Gabriel, you remember early on, had been dispatched by God. And he had been dispatched to the priest named Zacharias. And he was told by him that he was going to have a child, that his wife, who had been barren for years, was going to become pregnant through the natural means. And in some miraculous way, he and her were going to have a son by birth. Shocking. Shocking to Zacharias. And of course, Gabriel from then on was dispatched to a virgin girl named Mary and gave her the news of a miraculous birth. These two women saw one another. They gained mutual encouragement by what each other told them about their stories. And of course, we saw Mary worship God because of that worshipped Him for what He was doing. And then, and then as Luke writes, the son of Zacharias is born. And his birth, as we noticed, was a great display of the truth of God, that what God says, God actually does. Zacharias had, told, or Zacharias had been told by Gabriel that he was going to have a son, and that is exactly what happened in the exact time as Gabriel had told him it would happen. God had done what he said he was going to do. And so, in our own minds and in our own understanding, God is fulfilling His Word. He is carrying out His plan. He is doing what He said He would do. And so the people are left in awe. The people, as they see John's son be born, are left with this awe in their minds as to what this child will be. Verse 66 said, All who heard them kept these things in mind, all who heard about what had happened. They were astonished. When will this child turn out to be, they said. For the hand of the Lord is certainly with him. And now, here we are in this section for our time this morning. Here is the father. Here is Zacharias himself, having been divinely inhibited from speaking and hearing for over nine months of the gestational period of this child. Because of his own belief, now his mouth is opened and he begins to speak. We cannot miss, cannot miss that his words are God's words. These are God's words. Certainly we could say that throughout all of Scripture, right? From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, it is all God's words. And yet here is Zacharias speaking on behalf of God. It says to us in verse 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... 
In other words, Zacharias is God's divine mouthpiece. Zacharias had been divinely silenced, and now he is the divine mouthpiece of God. He is, as were all of the prophets, speaking the words of God. And so here is a father speaking. Speaking the words of God, and he is speaking of both the promise and the provision of God for salvation. Both the promise and and the provision of God for salvation. It would be one thing for God to make a promise. It would be one thing for God to say, yes, I will bring salvation. It would be one thing that God would say that, and by that we have a provision or a a promise of salvation, but it would be very sad had God not given the provision to fulfill the promise. Yet here is Zechariah speaking of both the promise and the provision That is what this section is all about. This section of Scripture is all about God fulfilling His Word as He spoke in the past about salvation. This is God doing what He said. This is God revealing through Zacharias exactly that reality as Zacharias speaks about all that God is doing. In fact, we studied the book of Hebrews some time ago. Remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 1? It says this, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. That's what's happening in this text. The fulfillment of that reality is happening. It is God reminding all of us through Zechariah's that He is faithful. That God is faithful. That God does what He says. He does exactly what He says. He never fails to do what He says. His plans and His purposes will all be fulfilled. He will not forget one. He will not let one go by the wayside. That is an important truth for us to remember. That is an important truth for us to have in our hearts and our minds, particularly in the times in which we live. We live in some pretty crazy times. We don't know what tomorrow will bring by any stretch of the imagination, even if we could logically think what should happen. seems every time we turn around, something more odd happens than we ever could have thought. What could more solidify and settle us than the understanding, knowing that all God does, He, all God says, He will do. Nothing will go without being fulfilled. Now, I want us to notice something as we begin. You may have noticed it as I was reading this text, but this entire section is only two sentences. Two sentences. I've said before to us, and I'll say it again, when you're studying the Scriptures, don't read verses, read sentences. Look at the punctuation. Look at the punctuation. Oftentimes, translators, in an attempt to help the euphonic flow of a passage, will break it up from the original words so that it isn't the full sentence, so that it makes sense in our ears, because sometimes the wooden translation of the Greek doesn't doesn't lend itself to the to the way our ears hear the grammar as it's written. But here, it's entirely left alone. 
entirely left alone. They didn't, they didn't need to do that. They didn't try to do that for our hearing. It sounds the way it sounds. They actually only give us two sentences. The New American Standard reveals it that way. Verse 1, or the, the first sentence begins in verse 68 and doesn't end till verse 75. The second sentence goes from verse 76 through the end of verse 79. The first sentence deals with God's promise of salvation. That God has promised to save. And He made that promise in the past. And the second sentence deals with His provision of salvation in the present. God is actually fulfilling what He has promised. So these are two long sentences. He would have got an F grade in any English class that I ever went to as a kid. My teachers always said that's a run-on sentence. Well, I only wrote that way because I didn't have a clue about punctuation. God knows exactly what He's saying. He knows exactly how He wants to say it. And God said it this way because God wants it said this way. God gets an A plus in English class. So there is the promise of God found in both the promise made to David and the promise made to Abraham in the first sentence. And then there is the provision of God given because of the promise, which is salvation. How? Through the forgiveness of sins. Through the forgiveness of sins. You see that in verse 77. That's the purpose. That's the purpose for the provision. To give people a knowledge of salvation by, through, the forgiveness, or consisting of, the forgiveness of their sins. Nothing can be darker. No night can be colder. No night could be longer than to realize that you are under condemnation of the very one who created you. The darkest, coldest night I've ever faced in a wintry place pales in comparison to the darkness of sin and the condemnation that comes to everyone who is under the wrath of God. To know that because of your own sin, you are facing a day for which the payment for all your sin will be due. The reality that if your sin debt is not paid in full, then you will face an eternity in complete and utter torment and pain, separated from God Himself. That is the condition of every human, unless the sun rises, we are left in darkness. Left the sun rises, we are left in darkness. And this is what Zacharias is talking about. He is talking about the promise of God and the provision of God. Zacharias is praising God for what is happening right before his very eyes. What is that? It is that the salvation that God has promised through the Davidic and Abrahamic covenants, God is actually providing through the coming sunrise. He is providing through the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so in an ultimate sense, in an overarching sense, this is all about salvation. 
This is about salvation. It's about the greatest sunrise that has ever risen. A sunrise that has nothing to do with the healing up of our flesh, but a sunrise that has everything to do with bringing us out of darkness, out of the darkness of sins and eternal death into the sunrise of life and light. There is no salvation for anyone unless God does what He has said He will do, right? I mean, we could hope that there would be some kind of salvation through the efforts of man, through our own ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, to change our behavior in such a way that the stacks by which we require righteousness in our own lives would be enough that God would accept that. We, we can think like that, but unless God does what He has promised, nothing will help. No man can save himself, even though he's been trying since the very beginning. No man can save himself. No one ever has. And therefore, we know by experience, and more importantly, we know because God's Word tells us that no one, not one, can make themselves righteous. Romans tells us all fall short of the glory of God. Every person. Therefore, if God doesn't do what He has promised, then we are all going to hell. No hope for any of us. But we have seen throughout our study of Luke that God does exactly what He says. God does what He says. Oh, praise God, He does what He says. Remember who Luke is writing to? Remember Theophilus back in verse 1? Oh, Theophilus, I want you to have a certainty about the things you've been taught. You have been taught that God does what He says. You need to know with certainty that God always does what He says. His Word not only declares that He is faithful, His Word shows that He is faithful. And so we've been seeing that truth unfold all along in our study. God has been doing what He says. He sent his angel with a message, and the angel said this would happen, and what the angel said would happen is exactly what happened. This baby whom God named John has been born. And like the angel said, he will go as a forerunner before the Lord in order to prepare the way, in order to prepare a people for the coming of the Messiah. He would prepare them with a knowledge of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And we will see in the passages to come, John does just that. He preaches a message of repentance from sin, a message whereby we must turn from our sin for the forgiveness of sin. And so this is not a new message. In fact, this has been the promise from the beginning. This has been the promise from the beginning. Notice the first promise that Zechariah recalls in his words. Found for us here in verse 68 through 71. Blessed be the Lord, 
God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, from a very human perspective, you would think that Zacharias now being able to miraculously speak after being silent for months, you would think at the birth of his son and at the circumcision day of his son, which was a high point in any Jewish son's life, you'd think that there would be some ecstatic utterance about the fact that his prayers had been answered. I've been praying for a son my entire life, and now look what God has done. He has given me a son My wife, who has been barren for our whole entire married life, is now having this child. We have a son. You would think that the first things out of his mouth might be something of the astonishment that they now have this boy. That isn't what is on his mind. Not what's on Zacharias' mind. Why? Because something much greater is happening through the birth of this son. The birth of this son means that the long-promised Messiah is coming. The birth of this son means this is the precursor to the sunrise. This is the haze upon the horizon by which the sunrise follows. It means, notice, that God has visited us, he says in verse 68. God is to be eulogized, blessed. That's what the word is in the original language. It's the eulogy. It's the saying good things. God, we are to speak good things of God, the God of Israel. Why? Because He has visited us. In what way? God has accomplished redemption for His people. It means that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us, he says. You see, Zacharias divinely, by God's inspiration, knows what's going on. Zacharias knows what's going on. He's been a priest for years. He has spent years of his life daily reading the Old Testament Scriptures, helping others to understand what the Bible means by what it says. He knew what the promise of David was. He knew that the promise to Abraham was a promise of salvation. He knew that God would bring salvation to His people. So he breaks out in praise to God as he connects what is happening with what he knows from the Word of God. He connects this very moment in his life, this this place in which ecstatic exuberance would be bubbling up in his heart just at the birth of his son. He connects all of that with his understanding of what God is doing. And he first says, in verse 69 through 71, that this really is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. That's just really a condensed rendering of the covenant God made with David. That's what that is. You might even draw a little line in your Bible, if you will, make a note from verse 68 to 71 and say, here's a condensed reality of the Davidic covenant. This is Zacharias praising God that he is fulfilling his promise that he made to David. The Davidic covenant was God's promise. That's what a covenant is. 
God's promise. What was the promise? That God made David a promise that he would be followed, that David would be followed on his throne by a son who would build the temple. The ultimate successor would establish his throne forever. That it would be an everlasting throne. The Davidic covenant is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter chapter 7, verse 11 to 13. It was brought to David through the prophet Nathan, the same prophet that exposed his sin to him. And David at the time, was expressing his desire to build a temple for God. And here's what Nathan said to him. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Hearing those words, the promise of a kingdom, of an everlasting kingdom, those words would have fueled the hopes of anybody in Israel. Anybody faithful to God at the time who heard those words that God would join to establish the kingdom, the the rule forever would have had a great sense of hope within them the day when they would have a place whereby they could go and worship God in the temple. They could... Get near to God. In fact, we read that great hope in the words of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, some years later, said to Israel, quote, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah thinking hearing and speaking on behalf of God in reference to the promise that God had given to David, expands on that and tells us who really that is who will fulfill that righteousness. So Zacharias here says at the birth of his son, Blessed be the Lord God. He has done what he has said. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Horn is just a metaphor Metaphor for strength. A horn on an animal's head is his strength point. It's the very thing whereby he can defend himself. The Davidic horn would be raised up in a mighty display of power and strength. You say, how? In the birth of Jesus Christ. In the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would be the one in whom would be the power over sin and death. No other greater horn has ever been prophesied about or needed more. And what would this horn do? He's raised up a horn of salvation. Notice first he would provide redemption. Redemption. He's visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. 
this horn of salvation is redeeming. In other words, this horn, this one of power, this one of strength would buy those who are his from the slave market of sin by his own death. He would redeem them. He would buy them back. Secondly, notice he would provide deliverance. Salvation or deliverance, verse 71, that's really the word there. Deliverance from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Some of your translations say provide. He'll provide salvation. Why? Because that is what salvation is. Salvation is deliverance from our ultimate enemies. He's not talking about other people. He's not talking about other others in humanity that we walk around and who do evil things to us. No, he is talking about the spiritual forces of darkness that hold us by the power of sin. In other words, the promised one is the mighty horn of salvation, and he is able to save completely. He has the power to save completely those who draw near to God through him. That's what Hebrews 7.25 says. Those who draw near to God will be saved completely because Jesus Christ is fully sufficient, powerful. So know this, beloved. Know this. Mark this about yourself here and right now. No matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how terrible your sin may be in your life. Jesus Christ, the horn of salvation, can save you completely and eternally. Know that. The gospel, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. doesn't matter if you're a Jew to which the gospel came to us through the Jewish nation or whether you're someone who's a non-Jew. doesn't matter. The gospel is the power of God for your salvation, and it is the only power. Praise God that he fulfills his promise to David. Praise God that what God said to David wasn't just words. Praise God that God fulfills his promise. But also, secondly, praise the Lord that he fulfills his promise to Abraham. Verse 72 to 75, to show mercy toward our fathers. Right? He's fulfilling the promise to David as an act of mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. What covenant? The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant that us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now here is the reason that God fulfills the promise to David. You say, but David came after Abraham. Yes. God's fulfilling the promise to David in the everlasting kingdom because God had already made a promise to Abraham. And God fulfills the promise to David out of mercy for the promise that he made to Abraham. He's remembering his promise. 
It's not as if remember there means that he forgot his promise and oh man, I made a promise to David. Well, what's that going to mean? Well, that means I got to, man, if if I'm going to have any integrity, I better fulfill that promise. He's not remembering like he forgot. He's accommodating our understanding so that we understand exactly what God's doing. God is fulfilling the promise of David because God made a promise and he knows of that promise because God never forgets a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant was first given to Abram when he was still childless. He didn't have a child. Sound familiar? Sounds like Zacharias speaking. God promised that he would be a great nation, that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Notice what it says. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you uh, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then when you turn over a few chapters over to Genesis chapter 15, God again reiterates the promise, and He emphasizes that now... God having changed his name from Abram to Abraham, God emphasizes that Abraham's offsprings would be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. Abraham is childless. It says that Abraham believed God and God attributed to him as righteousness. It was a great promise. You will have a great nation Abraham believed God in his promise. And of course, God fulfilled that promise in bringing Isaac. And through Isaac, the nation of Israel was born. And through the nation of Israel came our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it was a great promise to Abraham, but what made it an even greater promise was that God swore by his own unchangeable nature. God swore by his own unchangeableness that he would keep his promise. God swore by himself. In other words, if God failed to keep his promise, then he wasn't God. That was the idea. Abraham, I've I've told you what I'm going to do, and I'm going to show you just how into this promise I am. I'm going to swear by my very nature so that if I fail in one aspect of it or any aspect of it, I'm not God. Well, it's the very faithful character and nature of God that Zacharias is praising the very fact that God has indeed fulfilled what he said. God has done exactly what he said. And so Zacharias says he did this to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. What was the covenant? The oath. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so from Zacharias' inspired perspective, the promise of God to David, the promise of God to Abraham are being fulfilled through the birth of the coming Messiah, not only to save, but to save with a purpose. Not simply to save them, Not simply to save those who would believe, but to save them with a purpose. You say, what purpose? Look at verse 74. 
that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our day. We can't miss the point. We can't miss the emphasis that Zacharias is putting here. Salvation from God is not simply to save us from our sin. Sometimes we say that, right? You want your sin forgiven? Oh, you need salvation. Salvation saves you from your sin. That's true. But it's not only to save us from our sin. Salvation from God is to enable us to do what we have been created by God to do, and that is to serve Him in holiness and righteousness. For how long? All our days. All our days. How many days do we have when we know Jesus Christ by faith? How many days do we have? All of them. Eternal days. Without number. From that day forth and forevermore. All our days. This is exactly what happens through salvation. What happens through salvation is that the believing heart, the one who believes upon Jesus Christ, desires to serve they desire to live in holiness. They desire to strive to live righteously. Why? Because they can. They can now. They've been bought from the slave market. They're no longer under the power of the enemy. They have been granted deliverance from the hand of the enemy in order to serve. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12? Right? He gives us all of this wonderful doctrine. He tells us, look, everybody's guilty before God in chapters 1 and 2. You're all guilty, and therefore we need Jesus Christ. Right? It's by the grace of God that we are saved. And when you are saved, listen, don't use that as license. Don't let grace run rampant as if you can just go on sinning, that grace might be more and more and more. Listen, you're saved by grace. You're saved by faith uh, in Jesus Christ that comes by gr the grace of God. And because of that, he says in chapter 12, verse 1 and to, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, and because God has been merciful, to show mercy, because God has been merciful, you present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. Why? Because this is your spiritual service of worship. This is who you are now. You're to serve Serve without fear. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ by faith, then serve Him to the maximum, to the maximum of your ability, and you'll be worshiping Him to the maximum you have been enabled to worship. One commentator said it this way, joyous service is the hallmark of lives where the sun has truly risen in the heart. I like that. Joyous service is the hallmark of lives where the sun has truly risen in the heart. So Christianity not only delivers us from the enemy, Christianity, salvation in Jesus Christ, infuses us with the enablement to serve. Zacharias says, Lord, I, I praise you. I praise you because the birth of this son it is the confirmation in, an, in a small picture of all that you have promised in the past that you will do what you say. 
So Zacharias praises God for his promise. You have promised through David that you will have a a servant on the throne forever. That one is coming. You have promised that Abraham would have a son and through him the Messiah would come. And that is happening in order that we might believe and be saved and serve you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Oh, Lord, praise you for doing what you said. You are the God who accomplishes exactly what you said. So Zacharias praises God for his promises, but also for his provision, also for his provision. 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Zacharias now is is putting an exclamation point on all that he has just said previously in the first sentence. Through whom will this salvation come? Through whom will this one arise in which we'll have the kingdom forever? This one who will deliver, this one whom we will serve forever, he is the Most High. He is the Lord. You can almost sense the scene here and what's going on. Zacharias having said the first things that have come out of his mouth since he'd been silent for over nine months, now turns to this newborn child and speaks to the part that he will play, the role that he will have in this unfolding of the great salvation that is to come. Child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. Why? Not because of something in you. Not because you somehow are inherently great in yourself. You will be the prophet of the Most High. Why? Because you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways. How? To give to His people. They're not your people. It's not about you, John. It's not about you, son. It's about Him. You are going to give to His people the knowledge of salvation. How? Through or consisting of the forgiveness of their sins. And why? Why would that come? Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us. Who's He going to visit? Those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. He's coming in order to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now remember, There's been no prophet of God among the people for now over 400 years. Zacharias has regained his voice. And it's being used by God to praise God and to prophesy about what is happening. You, son, have one job. This is your task, to help people understand their need for salvation and the means by which that salvation can come. That's your job. To give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Now that implies two realities. That implies two realities. What is that? One, salvation is needed. Right? You're going to give people the knowledge of salvation. Therefore, that implies salvation is needed. And two... that people need to understand they need it, right? Most people don't believe they need salvation. 
Salvation is needed, and it's needed from something in which the people are trapped. What are they trapped in? Sin. We need salvation, and we need it because we're trapped. People then, during the time of John and people even today, don't believe they need salvation. Why? Why? Why don't I need it? Because I don't believe I'm a sinner. I don't believe God would reject me. In fact, doesn't the Bible say God is love? And if God is love, then why would God ever reject me? Why would God ever send me to hell? Even if I am in some ways a bad person, why would God, who is love? Because doesn't love just accept everything? Even those who think they are sinners don't believe that their sin is bad enough to warrant needing a Savior. So what was the mission of John? To help people understand their need for a Savior. That's what his need was. That's what his job was. So right here, folks, right here in this passage, right here in the prophecy of John the Baptist's father. Right here you have a condensed biblical definition of what every evangelistic plan ought to be. You want to go to evangelism class? You want to know what every evangelistic plan ought to be? Here it is. We don't save people. We don't work to convince people that Jesus is the answer to their life's problems. All we need to do is help people know that they are lost in sin and they need forgiveness. That's it. You're lost. You need your sins forgiven. And that forgiveness only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Why and how is this accomplished? Only because of the tender mercy of God, verse 78, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So here's the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Remember what he said? But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go about leaping like calves from the stall. Listen, my friends, without Jesus Christ, you remain in darkness. You sit in darkness. You are condemned. You are sitting under the condemnation from God. And until you fear God and realize you are a sinner, you need salvation, that you know you need salvation, and that salvation only comes through the forgiveness of your sins by means of Jesus Christ. Will you remain there? You will always remain there. Second Peter 1.19 tells us that Jesus is the bright morning star that rises in our hearts. When Jesus was here preaching, he even said to the people, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, John 8, 12. How? By faith. 
By faith, when Jesus rises in our lives, the shadow of death is gone. We no longer sit in darkness when we believe upon Jesus Christ. And that very light guides our feet into the way of peace. We're at enmity with God before Christ. We're at peace with God after Christ. What a promise. What a promise. Listen, I will send a Savior who will save you from your sin. What a promise. What a sufficient provision. The sunrise shall come. But let me ask, do you have the knowledge of salvation? Do you realize you're a sinner? Are you sure of the forgiveness of your sins? If not, then you need the sunrise. You need the sunrise. You need Jesus Christ. He came to die for sinners like you and me. That's what you need. You need Jesus Christ. Believe upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So Zacharias says, Zacharias, I'm sure, loved his son. I'm sure it was an ecstatic day of the birth of his son. But Zacharias didn't send out a birth announcement. Not about his son. Zacharias' birth announcement said, Do you realize you're a sinner in need of the saving sunrise of Jesus Christ? It only comes by believing in him for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what the birth announcement would have said. Oh, and by the way, if you don't believe that, my son's going to come tell you that when he's grown. That's his job. Luke ends by saying this in verse 80, and the child continued to grow. He becomes strong in spirit. Oh, he's going to need it. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You know what comes next? The sunrise. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this quick look, really, at the words of Zacharias. We surely could spend months here dissecting every detail about the covenant you made with David and the covenant you made with Abraham. Looking into the promise, really, and the provision, the provision that you showed us even through the new covenant, as Ezekiel 31 says and Jeremiah tells us, by which you would give a new heart, that you would fill us with the Spirit, that the heart of flesh would be taken away when we believe upon Jesus Christ, we would have a new heart. Oh, we've experienced that for those of us who are saved, those of us who know your Son by faith. Thank you for granting faith to us to believe. Thank you for opening our eyes to the reality of our own sinfulness, the need for a Savior, looking to the only provision there is, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you awakened our eyes to the knowledge and understanding of our sin and salvation. Father, we pray that we'd be instruments in your hands to do just that. That we would know your word 
but more importantly, above all of that, that we would speak the truth in love to others who need to know their sin. We would pray fervently for you to open their eyes that they might believe, understand their need, turn from their sin, knowing that in you is the forgiveness of sin. For you are faithful and just to forgive sin. We thank you for that this morning. Lord, help us to ponder on these things, to think through them, to have our lives affected by the implications in each one of our hearts. May we go out proclaiming the truth to others. All for your glory. Eclipse us. And help us to just be humble servants of yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.